you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You may be seated. Everybody online, good to have you with us as well. Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you again. We are in the second week of a series that our church is in this season of discernment with stewardship. And what is it, Jesus, you want us to do with our wealth, with our money? So if you're new here or you're just jumping in, uh, like this is kind of, it feels a little bit like a living room conversation with our Res family, but this conversation is actually open to all followers of Jesus. So uh, we don't always talk about money, uh, not nearly as much as Jesus seems to talk about money. So like we're, you know, it's not, we're not doing it all the time. But this is a conversation that everyone kind of take a deep breath and open our lives and our wealth even to the care of God. That's what this is really about. We're in this series called First to the Lord. And the idea here around First to the Lord that we're reading in Second Corinthians is this question of what does it look like for our lives to be offered first to Jesus before anything else. In particular, in this section, Paul's saying, I want to tell you what it looks like to offer your wealth first to Jesus before anything else. So let's jump in. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're beginning in verse 9 this morning. Paul's putting this whole conversation about money and wealth and generosity in its proper context. It's that sentence I just read for you at the beginning of this sermon about the gift that God gave to us first in our Lord Jesus Christ. This, friends, is what frames the whole thing. If we're going to talk about generosity, we're not going to be framed by a world of scarcity or kind of this twist my arm, kind of like let me give kind of thing, or you should give to the church's needs. None of that actually makes any sense as much as this framing of our generosity that is the giving of God that we have in Jesus first to us that should frame all talk about generosity why because this is the most indescribably generous thing that we are recipients of it is such a powerful and generous gift that has actually rewritten our entire story as people it has rewritten all of reality and our sense of self everything for us has everything to do with this gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ amen Amen. That's when you say amen. 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 All right, we're cooking. Here we go. And so because of this news, the banner that now hangs over your life and my life is a banner of Jesus Christ giving himself for us. Notice that the banner hanging over us isn't you're not good enough, you don't make enough money, you didn't accomplish your goals that you set out, uh, you're always going to be falling short, you're just kind of like, you know, a piece of dirt, like you're useless, all of those stories that people tell themselves, that's actually not the banner that hang over, hangs over our life. What is the banner that hangs over our life? But the indescribable, over-the-top, totally undeserved giving of God to us, his beloved, through Jesus Christ. That's the headline of your whole life, friends. You are the recipients of divine generosity that's unfathomable. And it's not... We received that generosity when we had it all together. But it was exactly in our deepest moment of need that God gave to us. Even before we could ask or even before we recognized our need, God was already ready to give to us. This is good news. This is the banner that hangs over our lives. Not scarcity, not worry, not anxiety, not controlling every outcome of our life, managing our money, 
trying to secure some sort of comfortable future. That's super uninteresting, guys, compared to this banner that we have now in Jesus Christ hanging over us. And this is the drum that Paul keeps beating in 2 Corinthians. Don't you know? Wait, have you not heard? What are you even talking about, people? Have you not heard of the scandalous generosity, the grace that God has given to you in Jesus Christ? Paul argues. And so he says, knowing this, knowing just how good God is to you and how good he has been to you, and by the way, how good he will continue to be to you, knowing this, be ready to carry on in that manner. Don't start living like you live under some other banner of scarcity where you have to kind of make something of yourselves and make your own future and you have to like pull yourselves up by your bootstraps and it's in the Bible somewhere that like God only helps those who help themselves. No, it's not. Why are you living like this? Paul is saying, live under the banner of God's goodness. Be freed up. Why in the world would you ever choose that? So Paul leans into this church and he leans in in two ways. To frame generosity, he leans in two ways. One, talking about readiness. I don't know if you heard in the passage that he talks about readiness a lot. That word comes up a lot. And also this idea of abundance. So I'm going to look at what does Paul have to give to us in our practices of generosity that have to do with readiness and abundance. What is he saying here? Let's look at first what he means by readiness. Chapter 8, verse 11 through 12. If you're following along in your Bibles or you online, um, I'm reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to read verses 11 and 12. It says this. So now, finish doing it as well. So that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has. Not according to what he does not have. You see what Paul's describing here is like, take what you have. What you have now. Don't take what you can't, you don't have, what you don't have, you don't have. Take what you have, what God has given you, and be ready to give it. Now, just to kind of freshen up here, what do we mean by ready? Let's look at the opposite of readiness. The opposite of readiness would be something like stinginess. Like kids with toys, right? Like I got lots of kids with toys. Stinginess. I'm like this about something else, just harder to see in ourselves. But I have plenty of this too. Stinginess or reluctance. Oh, I guess compulsion uh, i should just do it before i even think about it because it's the right thing to do or negligence uh, let's just not talk about it uh, we'll move on next week they'll talk about something else by the way we're talking about giving next week too so <laughs> and the week after that so notice that none of these words that i just described stinginess reluctance compulsion or negligence none of those words w- would we use to describe the nature of who god is None of those words would we use to describe God's great giving to us, would it? Maybe this is news for some of you. God is not stingy. Should I sit down now? Like, y'all, God is not stingy. He's not compulsive. Jesus wasn't some sort of like, oh, great, look what's happening. Send in Jesus, I guess. No, he's not compulsive. He's not reluctant. He doesn't shrug his shoulders like you again. Goodness. And he's not negligent. He's not somewhere far away and checked out of your life's needs. He's present to you. He's the opposite of all those things. None of those words describe God's giving to us. Couldn't be further from the truth. How do we know this, Sean? Are you just a hype man for Jesus and so you just make it? No, I am a hype man for Jesus. But we know that God is none of these things because of what we see in Jesus. 
what Paul tells us at the beginning of this passage. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That's the opposite of stinginess and reluctance and compulsion and negligence. This is like an uncomfortable, over-the-top kind of generosity. In Jesus, in the person of Jesus, we find a God who deeply, deeply loves us and is present right in our need, right in our worries, right in our lack. We find this God lovingly present to us, not far away and preoccupied, but present to us, attentive and active in our world, in our lives, tending to the needs of our real life. Think of your needs right now. Put them before you. Take your needs as you have them in your life situation right now. Hear this. God is present. He's meeting your needs. You may not see it. It may take time. But he's there. He's at work. And he's so eager to satisfy you. He's so eager to meet the deepest part of your soul's ache and your lack. God is present to us in our need. Amen. Now, I know it may seem counterintuitive. Can I just say something here? Money can't do that, can it? We try. Oh, geez, we try. Money can't do that. You know what? You're great people too, but you can't even do that. You can't plan and arrange your life and execute your like five-year goal, which is great. I'm not bashing that. But you can't even do this for yourself. Only Jesus can do this for us. And we know this again and again. We've got to be reminded. I do too. God is so eager and ready to give to us in ways that our money and even our best intention and plans in life could never satisfy. And this is exactly what Paul in his letter to 2 Corinthians, the, the church in Corinthians, is he's contending for. That you people who have received this great benefit in Jesus would just follow through with the gift that's been given to you. God has given to you, so in and through you give. That makes sense. Follow through with God's readiness in, give, in, in, uh, in giving to others, even with your money. Be ready to give. What Paul is not saying here, and I think I need to go out of my way to just state this because people have read this this way, and I'm just going to like, hey, this is not what he's saying, is now if I give God money, he really likes that, and he's going to hook me up. He's going to give me some money back. That's prosperity gospel garbage straight from the pit of hell. It's not in the Bible. Like, Just get rid of this. In fact, if you become a Christian, your life will probably become more complicated and harder, if we're honest. But you know what's great? The good news about that is we find that that's where Jesus promises to be. With those who have need. With the poor. With those of us who lack or souls ache. God is present to us. So God is not transactional. He's not like a divine Coke machine. You put in the money, you get something you want. That's not how a relationship with God works. And that's not what Paul is saying here. It's far better. It's far more dangerous. It's far better. It looks like giving as though God is actually present to our lives. That God has actually satisfied the biggest, deepest, broadest needs of our whole life and our soul. That God is with us and is meeting our needs. And then to live as if that were true. That's what Paul's getting at. So what this means is we no longer have to live in a constant state of endless wants, scrolling desires on our phone, buying one more thing that these algorithms just seem to how to know to get right behind the, 
defense walls, right? And we find ourselves like, oh, that'll make me happy. It never does. You do it again like next week. You're free from that. You don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to go searching online for your identity, your people, your needs being met. Praise the Lord. You don't have to live in a constant state of want. Why? Because the Lord is your shepherd, as the psalmist says. We don't have to live that way anymore. He meets all of our needs. Praise the Lord. Gosh. And can I say this? You also uh, aren't held captive by being full of money and totally empty in your life. You don't have to live like that anymore. You don't have to live in the prison of a full bank account. You can come out. You can be free. Instead, we can even become the kinds of people so profoundly enriched by Jesus Christ that we are free to give out of that place of profound satisfaction and wealth. Paul's not being sentimental here. He really means it. This is what we have in Jesus. Our needs no longer get to dictate or have mastery over our lives. Our needs and our lacks no longer have the power to disciple us. We no longer have to live under the care of the shepherding poverty of our world and in our lives. That kind of like oppressive, you know what I'm talking about? That we just don't have enough kind of shepherd that looms over our lives. We no longer have to live under that care. But now in Jesus, our needs, the very needs that we have, have become a sign that he's with us, actually. Our lack has become a sign, an assurance that Jesus is close and he's attentive and meeting those needs. The Ecuadorian uh, theologian, Rene Padilla, he says it this way, already the kingdom of God, you know who belongs to? The poor. Because Christ is in their midst, is one of them bestowing on them the blessings of the kingdom. Talk about wealth. Jesus entered a world of profound need, profound poverty. And he announces the arrival of God's way of doing things, a way of abundance that is all coming through him to bless us. And so for the poor, when Jesus calls the poor blessed, he's not saying, hey, everybody, you should like try to be poor. He's saying, hey, you poor, you, you don't really have to work hard to see your need of God. You don't really, like, I don't have to convince you of your needs or put them before you. Blessed are you. Because the kingdom of God is already present to you. This is just simply good news. God is near the poor and he's going to take care of them. What's sad and what's tough is for the not poor, most of us, that our lives will never see this. This might go totally untested in our lives. We might be so fat and happy with our wealth that we will never need God. Our wealth muffles our profound poverty that's screaming out from within us. And I know some of us, we know what that's like. You can have everything and find yourself having absolutely nothing. Woe to you. Woe to us. Whose money disciples us into believing that we don't need God to give to us. We're all good. Woe to us. In fact, one of the greatest gifts the greatest gift given to humanity in the presence of Jesus Christ. When the news of this came to the Blessed Virgin Mary's ears, she erupted in a song. And it wasn't like a, oh, thank you, Lord, for making me pregnant, or like, I don't know what women, like pregnant women sing, right? But this was definitely not the song that pregnant women sang. 
Can I, can I just like relay some of these lyrics to you? Like how punk rock is this? Listen to this. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their throne and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. Think of that. The news of God's presence erupts in her that God is now taking the haves and the have-nots and flipping that on its head. Now because of the presence of God in Jesus Christ, those who have nothing have everything in him now. And those who think they had everything, their reward, their comforts, they're currently experiencing because they're not going to have anything by the time Jesus is done establishing his reign and rule. They will be sent empty-handed away. Woe to them. It's not that Jesus doesn't love rich people. But it's actually in showing rich people this news, they can be liberated and freed from the myth that they don't need God or his rule or his care over their souls. See, friends, what's at stake for us in talking about generosity is more than our money or the power that our money affords us. That's like actually not very interesting at all. It's probably the most boring part of this whole thing. What's way more interesting, what's actually at stake for us in giving is the condition of our souls. That's what's at stake. The kinds of people we're actually becoming. Are we being shepherded by the generosity of God and Jesus? Or are we being shepherded by our bank accounts and our endless needs? It's really simple. If you want money to disciple you, hold on to it. Hoard it. Buy the things that you want. If you want money to disciple you, it's, I, mean, you're already, you're, I mean, we're pretty good at it already, right? But if you desire a heart liberated, delivered from this world and those insatiable desires that enslave us to no end, if you want to be delivered, then follow Jesus. Follow his example and be ready to give it away. To hold it with open hands and to be ready to give it all away just like Jesus did. Amen? Isn't that hard to hear? I'm preaching it, but it's still hard to hear. Let's discern, friends, how we can actually train ourselves to be ready to give. Not reluctant, not compulsive, not negligent, but the kinds of people whose lives have been so blessed by the generosity of God that when people come to us with needs, when there's something that's asked of us, we say, of course, I've been waiting for this. I'm overflowing with generosity because because I live in a world in which God has so deeply hooked me up. This is uncontainable. This is why I know these cards are kind of cheesy, but these are why these are actually really important. These, if you don't know what these are, these are pledge cards. Every year we take a moment to, as a spiritual discipline, pray and just say, God, what, what do you want my giving to look like in the new year? Instead of just kind of preaching a sermon and saying, you know, we'll see you next week, um, we actually want uh, you to participate in this spiritual discipline so that it's not compulsive or digging around in your purse. Like, well, I think I got like five bucks I can throw in the thing. Like, no, you don't have to do that. Actually, I'd rather you not do that, to be honest. So that it doesn't have to be this like guilt-ridden or shame-heavy kind of thing, but you can actually spend time with God and say, Lord, all that I have is yours. Would you train me? Would you help me to become the kind of person that is just like your son? Generous, ready to give, ready to give. These cards can help us be ready to give so that it doesn't creep up on us and become a surprise, but we can be ready to give.
So I encourage you, fill this out, drop it in the basket, go online. There's all kinds of ways to do that. That's what those are about, being ready. So friends, let's then become a people who are ready to give. From the God who gave that manna from heaven that we heard that allusion at the end of that passage in 2 Corinthians, there's always enough for us for the day. This is the same God who's always provided for us in our time of need. And even as we prepare now to come to this table, that manna still comes to meet us here. God's provision comes again and again and again. And it's not just bread and wine. If you were in our class, you would know how weird this gets. I'll just leave it there. But God's provision is real and profound, meeting every need that we currently have in our real lives right now. The most deepest, truest needs of our lives. God provides for us and he feeds us at his table this morning. It's not a concept. This is a meal that we're going to have right now. But this meal doesn't just leave us alone. It transforms us into people like Jesus. That the gift we have received from him then flows through us and becomes gift to others. So be very careful coming up here. This meal will transform you. So let's open our hearts. Let's open our hands. Let's open even the hard parts of our wealth that we don't want to talk about. Let's, I dare, I dare you, let's open it together and say, Lord, would you have your way? You have provided for me. Would you, through me, help provide for others in the scandalous act of generosity that looks so much like Jesus in his kingdom? Amen? Amen. Let's take a moment of silence and invite the Spirit of God to speak to us right now. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.